From the letter to Ephesians, chapter 1, starting with verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession in the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of, your, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, that not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6, starting with verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be with you all today on this All Saints Sunday and this day where uh, we get to celebrate baptism. It is a very, very special day. Um, as I mentioned earlier, All Saints Day is a, one of the high holy days in the church calendar. And there's some of those days that are more obvious to us. Easter, of course. I always tell you that um, I remember that time that I went and got coffee before an Easter Sunday morning and my barista said to me, this is kind of like your Super Bowl, isn't it? 
sense. Easter feels that way, doesn't it? It is that. It is huge. It's the central to the church calendar. Christmas is another one of those that's more obvious. One that might be a little less obvious to you is Pentecost. We celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful time around summertime, May, June-ish. Um, but then we also have today, All Saints Day. It's a feast of the church, and it's a day of reflecting on this reality that we're part of a larger story than ourselves. In fact, as I project this church kind of into the future as we step forward, I think that this day, All Saints Day, will be a uniquely special day for our church. Um, as we've come, many of us come from backgrounds that didn't celebrate the church calendar, this day is kind of central to part of the vision of who we are, <laughs> that we remember that we're part of this larger story and this bigger story than ourselves. We remember today those who have gone before, those who have run the race, as the book of Hebrews says, the cloud of witnesses who cheer us on, and they're part of what we call the church triumphant, which means that they are now with Christ in paradise. And they, along with us, await the day when God will remake all of heaven and earth. This day is a reminder we don't walk the journey of faith alone. We are part of a family and that family's not bound together by affinity or a few group of people that liked the same things and liked to worship in the same way. We're gathered as a local congregation, but this family spans distance and time. And when we partake in this meal each Sunday, we don't do so just as individual Christians, but we do so as part of a story. Okay, so when we talk about saints, what are we talking about? Who are the saints? We are primarily speaking today about all baptized believers, all those in Christ in the present, all those indwelt by the Spirit, all those here and there. We are all the saints. Okay, so that's what we mean by the saints. Now, different branches of the church commemorate specific people who are often called saints. And I understand that's confusing. <laughs> so we go, okay, who are the saints? Is it these special ones or is it everybody? But this is simply a way when we, when we identify particular saints, it's a way of identifying their example that they have embodied in some way, although never perfectly, but they have embodied some way their baptismal identity. The fact that they've been set apart these saints lived out the kingdom of God in various times and places. And again, it doesn't mean they were perfect. In fact, if you look at the life of the saints, they were far from it. But we are able to see somehow God's new world springing up in their lives. So today we commemorate the official saints, people like St. Mary and St. Paul, St. Peter, even St. Augustine, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Teresa of Avila. The list goes on and on and on. These are saints who remind us that discipleship always calls us to lay our life down in some way or another. In fact, I want to encourage you this week to look up something. There's a great statue outside of Westminster Abbey in London, and it is 10 of what they call the modern martyrs. And these are people who died for their faith, and I think they're all 20th century martyrs. So they have Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Maximilian Kolb, who also was killed under the Nazi regime, Oscar Romero, who was gunned down while celebrating mass. And they all, the different saints, they span every continent throughout the world and a variety of different Christian denominations. And I found that so inspirational this week. These are ones who embodied the fact that Christianity always calls us to lay our life down. And in their case, it meant their physical life. But we also remember what we might call the little saints, the people who have shaped our lives. 
I always remember my teachers, my Sunday school teachers, those older saints who believed in me when I stepped into pastoral ministry for the first time, many of whom are still alive. Um, I, I want to let you know today that um, I received some sad news. I had been thinking this week, many churches, many parishes, um, on this Sunday, they list everyone in their parish who has died, um, have been their part of their parish. Well, we're such a young and such a new parish that we don't have a list, right? Um, uh, but I, many of you may know um, Stephen Karen Craven, um, and uh, they had, were part of our church for a significant period of time and a really important part of our church. When we moved here to downtown, they decided to stay in East Nashville and attend a different church, and um, Steve passed away this morning um, of heart failure, and so uh, we extend our hearts to him, but I remember Steve, and I remember Karen, <laughs> um, and their love for the Lord, their love for the community of the saints, uh, their love for the church, uh, the peace that kind of permeated from their life, and the stillness and calm from his life. Um, so our hearts and our prayers are with the people of their church, home church, and with their family today. Um, we believe that also something quite sacred happens today. Um, as we talk about the communion of the saints, being part of that, we also believe something sacred happens in baptism. That as Hendricks and Elsie are baptized, in some special way, they join the communion of the saints. This is a special moment, not just in their lives, but in the lives of our local parish here, and not just in the lives of our local parish, but in the life of the church. To paraphrase Rowan Williams, um, in baptism, we take these unsuspecting children and make them disciples and saints and mark them as Christ's own forever. Yes, Hendricks and Elsie have chosen this. So when we say unsuspecting, it's not that they haven't chosen this. We've walked through this together, but none of us are ever quite prepared for what it means to be a disciple. And that's why we need grace. The word saint simply means sanctified or set apart. This is something that God does in us. He works in us. In fact, we spend the rest of our lives in reference to our baptism living into who God says that we are in those waters. That is our new identity. It is so important to remember today that it is God who makes saints. It is not us who make ourselves saints. It is God who makes saints. At the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls everyone in the congregation saints, regardless of their reputation or their background. Sometimes we think of the idea of saint and we conflate that with the idea of hero. So we think a saint is a hero. And yes, some, as we mentioned, we recognize as examples, we're heroic in some ways. And our stories is full of those people. That's why I want to encourage you to look it up and to read about those who have been part of our story. There's some amazing things that God has done in people's lives. And we need to know about that. But the communion of the saints is also full of people who have no such merits to claim. Deathbed conversions those who never fully lived into their baptism. And yet, they are part of this family of God too. Why? Because it's God who makes saints. Our family is centered on God's grace. And even the work of the heroes are empowered by the work of God. This is the God who we trust and who we worship today. In our Ephesians text today, um, Paul writes of an inheritance that Christians have received. He uses this word inheritance. I don't know if you've ever inherited something. 
These days, inheritance is usually money or it's something that can easily be turned into money. <laughs> so you inherited a possession. Um, my grandfather was a car guy and uh, he liked to buy new cars all the time and he liked to collect them. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But <laughs> he liked to buy new cars. He'd go and find out what the cool new car was and he'd usually kind of rotate cars. He just really loved cars. And my mother, after he passed, my mother inherited a her 1964 Mustang convertible. And uh, it was given to her for the simple reason it was her first car when she was younger. And it was a meaningful possession because of its sentimental value. And sometimes we think of inheritance that way. It's either money or it's something that has sentimental value. But in the ancient world, inheritance always meant one thing. It meant land. And this was particularly true for the Jewish people. God had promised land to the Jewish people, the land of Canaan. And at that time, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and they went through a lot of awful stuff. But they trusted that. After they were set free from Egypt, they trusted that they had an inheritance. They had land that was waiting for them. Part of the meaning of the Exodus story is that they were set free from slavery to go and claim their inheritance. You're set free to now step into your land. So they went through the desert, and in the desert, they were led by God's presence in fire and smoke. They were hungry, and they were thirsty, and they faced all kinds of dangers, but there was this guarantee that they would get to the end, that they would make it to their inheritance, and they did. The prodigal son story, which Jesus tells, is a story of a son who squandered his inheritance. So he takes his portion of the land, and he cashes it out. And he takes what the father has given him and he's wasted it away. He goes and spends it recklessly and he wastes it. And yet the father welcomes him back. It is also the story though of an older brother who sits around judging the older brother for his, or the younger brother for his squandering and wasting the inheritance that they've both been given. In the telling of this parable, Jesus is telling the story of Israel. He's telling the story of God's people who had taken this great gift that was given to them and squandered it. They turned to false gods. They turned to selfish ambitions. They turned to violent revolutions. And yet something new happens in Jesus. The squanderers are welcomed, but not only welcomed, they're thrown a party. This is the way of the kingdom of God. Those who don't live God's new kingdom, the squanderers, the usurpers, the idolaters, are welcomed home. And yet there's always the temptation in the community of God's people to be the older brother. The Pharisees of Jesus's day had turned to those who they deemed sinners, the squanderers, who had embodied this squandering and this rejection. And the older brother desires to resist and to restrict God's grace, to say, no, she can't be part of the family of God. He has done too much wasting and too much squandering. He's gone too far off. Not them. They can't be part of this family. But spoiler alert, grace is at the heart of the kingdom of God revealed in Jesus. We are given this new inheritance, not because we've earned it, because of what we've done. Our calling is simply to now live by the rhythms of that grace. The God who is generous, the God who welcomes the squanderers, and then he calls us, live into that generosity, live into that grace, live into that goodness. Paul helps us to understand that the death and resurrection of Jesus is kind of like a new exodus, 
We've been set free, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from sin and death. We've been set free from the false things that used to define us. We're set free from old identities and counterfeit messages that say, well, this is really the right way to be human in the world. Because of what Christ has done, when we are in him, we have been set free to be who we are called to be. And that means we've been set free to claim and anticipate our inheritance. No matter what life looks like for us, struggle, pain, tragedy, the times that we look back at our old identities and said, I wanna embrace that again, he will faithfully bring us to our new inheritance. So what is our new inheritance? What is that? What is our promised land? What is our future hope? Well, one of the ways you may have heard this answered is heaven. It's a kind of a disembodied place, disembodied soul that we go to when we die. Many of us imagine a place of riches and jewels and a nice mansion. We're gonna live by heavenly seas, right? But remember, for Paul's original hearers, inheritance would always mean land, real physical land. The inheritance is the new kingdom of God. Paul has in mind the whole world renewed by a fresh act of God's power and love. That our world now is going to be remade and renewed and put right. God's desire is to flood the whole cosmos with his presence, with his grace, and to bring about a new world. And that's the inheritance which Jesus' people are longing for. But in the meantime, God does something incredible. He gives us a deposit on that future inheritance. He gives us a, you could say, a down payment on the future inheritance. The children of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness, they were given God's presence in smoke and fire. He also gave them the law, commandments, what it means to live God's rule and reign in the world. These were their deposits on the future promised land. Live this way so that in the future, when you enter into the promised land, that's how you'll be as a kingdom. That's how you'll be as a people. Live this way. The inheritance is God's world renewed and restored for us. But in the meantime, God gives the church the Holy Spirit, Paul says as a signpost, as a deposit of that future world. The Holy Spirit is like that down payment on the inheritance. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live God's future rule and reign here and now. So what does the rule and reign of Christ look like? Well, Jesus paints a picture for us in the Sermon on the Mount that we read today. Like Moses standing on Mount Sinai giving God's law, Jesus gives a new kind of law a new way of living as God's people. But this time, rather than using the language of prescription, do things this way, Christ's language is descriptive. He describes what his new world will look like. This is what your inheritance will be, but this is also what it looks like now. And if you study the way of Jesus and you follow him for too long, you'll know that the way of Jesus is always different from what you expect. It's always different upside down, or perhaps it's better to say right side up. I have to, if it's some Stranger Things fans, I have to be careful when I say the upside down now. I figured that out, but, but the kingdom of God is right side up. Jesus diagnoses the world as sick, in need of flipping. Things are not as they should be, and in him, they're being put to order. And this means that those who are currently on the underside will be raised up. Those who are winning by the world's standards will be brought down. 
Those who are currently struggling, desperate, crying out are actually in God's new world, the ones who are blessed, he says. Culturally, we have a pretty shallow view of the world of the word blessed. We say that we are hashtag blessed when we can point to a nice picture of a beach horizon and while we're drinking a margarita and we post it on Instagram and we say we are hashtag blessed or when our family looks extra cute, right? We are hashtag blessed. Now, never mind that just a few minutes ago, they were all screaming and yelling and angry at each other and fighting, but still hashtag blessed, right? But the word blessed here really means favored of God. And it doesn't always correspond to a material reality. In Jesus, God is blessing the people who don't appear blessed. Think about that for a minute. He has heard their cry and he's responded. God's kingdom belongs to the poor, he says. Those who are hungry and in need in this broken world will be filled. Those who weep now, if you're here today and you're weeping and you're crying and you're grieving, it says in God's new world, you will laugh. For those who are rejected and cast aside because of Jesus, in God's new world, they will rejoice and leap for joy because this new kingdom is centered on and breaking through this one Jesus who you hold on to. But there aren't just blessings, there are also woes in the Sermon on the Mount. A woe is not a curse. It's not a condemnation that Jesus is saying on these people. A helpful, a helpful way to think about this might be to replace the word woe with the word yikes, okay? Think about it this way. So instead of woe to you who are rich, it's yikes to you who are rich. Watch out, okay? Because that's only gonna lead you to a place. If you're satisfied now with how things the world are now, if you're winning in this world how the world works now, be really careful because something new is happening, Something different is happening. I just got back from a really long road trip. Friends of mine were being ordained priests in Ohio. And so I drove eight hours Friday and then drove back eight hours Saturday. And I did it all by myself. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm a grown man. I probably could just do that. Um, but one time, okay, maybe more than one time, I got a little off course and my tires hit those grooves that are on kind of the road that make really loud noise, which I'm really thankful for, by the way. Like you get just a little bit off and then it's really loud. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I gotta get back on track here. These are basically, when I hit those, it was, I said, yikes, <laughs> okay? Like I've gotten off track here. I need to course correct. These are a warning. You don't wanna be going that way. You don't wanna be going towards the median. That's not gonna get you anywhere. Those who are winning by the standards of the world, Jesus says, you need to watch out, yikes to you. For those who are rich in this world, those who are satisfied now, those who are laughing now, those who have manipulated the system and others to achieve their status, Jesus says they've already received what they're gonna receive. There's nothing for them in God's new kingdom. Does this mean that everyone who's wealthy is not part of God's kingdom? No, but it recognizes that the systems of this world are inherently broken. And if you're one who has gotten quite good at the language of this world, you're gonna struggle with the language of God's kingdom because it's always right side up. It's always different. And then he says, woe to you when all speak well of you because that's what their ancestors did to the false prophets. God's true word always meets resistance. It's never a nice and easy fit into every other part of your life. It's always gonna challenge you. 
It's the narrow road rather than the broad one. And then Jesus tells his followers to live in accordance with this new reality, this new kingdom. So he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. This is radical. This is world flipping. Why do this? Well, it's not just because this is good moral imperatives, even though it is, it might be, but this is the very heart of God. This is who God is. In fact, this is what Jesus does. Don't ever let anybody separate Christ's teaching from his death and resurrection and say, I only care about his teaching. I don't care about his death and resurrection. Or I only care about what he did on the cross and the resurrection. I don't care about his teaching. Whatever Jesus teaches, he then did that. (laughs) He walked to the cross. So you talk about loving your enemies. That's what Jesus did all the way to the cross. Forgiving those who have hurt you, that's what Jesus did from the cross. That's how he lived. He embodied that his whole life because that's God's heart. He's loving. He's self-giving. And God's self-giving is not codependency. And I, I want you to hear this. Like, the way of Jesus is not the way of the doormat. It's not laying down and just letting people walk all over you because Jesus lived truth. And he walked firmly in who he was and his identity. He didn't need to please the world, but he empties himself based on his choice. He loves the world. And scripture tells us while we were sinners and squanderers and usurpers and enemies of the true love of God, Christ died for us. So therefore, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other as well. In the first century, this was a statement. By refusing to fight back and yet standing up straight and offering the other cheek, the person who had been hurt was saying, I'm a human being. You need to treat me like a human being and I will not be rocked and I will not be drawn into your violence. It's a way of saying, I am here and I'm standing and I'm not going to fight back violence with violence towards you. Jesus did this all the way to the cross. When someone takes away your coat, give them your shirt. Why? because our God is generous even with squanderers and thieves. We are not to live out of a sense of scarcity in our lives, but out of a sense of abundant generosity, just as Christ is with us. In baptism, we step into this new reality, this new kingdom of God. We step into this inheritance, into this new land, into this resurrection country, as Eugene Peterson says, and we can live it now, here and now. This involves renouncing all of our former identities with all the strings attached to them and taking up this cross, this new way of being. A quote from Eugene Peterson, he says, baptism redefines our life as God's gift to be lived in the presence and within the operations of God. Our birth certificate is a record of our biological birth. Baptism is a record of God's eternal claim on us. When we take that claim with full seriousness, we live out a far more comprehension, comprehensive definition, son or daughter of God. God has blessed us, and we are called to live into that blessing. We have been forgiven. We've been set free from everything else that's defined us. And we're called now to live out our baptismal identity, this new identity, this new reality, this new inheritance. And the beauty of it is we don't have to do it alone. We are part of a new family. We're in this together. 
One of the things we're going to do in a few minutes when we baptize Hendricks and Elsie is they have some questions that they're going to answer, but then we have a lot more questions that we have to answer. <laughs> and it's us saying, we're going to stand with them and we're going to walk with them because they're not in this thing alone. Today, as we celebrate baptism, it's an opportunity for all of those who have been baptized in our congregation to reflect on our baptismal identity. Now, we have a church from a bunch of different backgrounds. So many of you who have been baptized were baptized in a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different places, and that's beautiful. Some of you were baptized as babies, and you don't remember it. You don't even know the church you were baptized in, right? Some of you, you have no memory of it, and yet it happened. Some of you were baptized in your church after you went through a class, or maybe some of you responded to a spontaneous altar call, and they had a baptism up there, and you came up, and you were baptized. Some of you were at a youth camp, right, or a youth retreat, and you were baptized in that moment. Whatever that is, that moment happened, and my hope is that this would be a day for us to reflect on that, for us to remember something changed. I became part of a family in a unique way. You stepped into that freedom. And those of you who have yet to take that step, my prayer today is today would be a day of anticipation for you because God's love has already embraced you and he's taking you on a journey and he's given you a family to walk beside you. So today, some of us are looking back to our baptism today. Today, you're looking forward to that day. For those of you who are here and you've felt yourself on the underside of life, beat up, rejected, feeling your failure more than your success. I want you to hear today that you're part of a new kingdom. The world has been flipped upside down and Jesus declares that you are blessed. For those people and systems who have been too comfortable in this world, comfortable with rejecting others and manipulating the system for our own gain, yikes to you. Be cautious. Something new is happening. For the squanderers, the usurpers, those who have turned to counterfeits, who feel that your life story has already played out, you're already labeled a failure, you're to this, you're to that, and that'll never change. Know that God has marked you by the Holy Spirit. That's a new identity. You await an inheritance and can give, live in this inheritance now. So today, together with all the saints, we remember the good news, as Paul says, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.